I'm Joe Morfeld of Pint House Pizza and Brewing, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest today is Brendan McGivney of Odell Brewing Company, and he's here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. First, please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media at allaboutbeer and support journalism in the beer space. Uh, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into the conversation in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Okay, let's get into it. A bit about my guest today. Brendan McGivney is the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Owner at Odell Brewing in beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado. He's been part of the Odell team since 1995, working alongside an amazing group of people focused on building community through beer at an award-winning independent craft brewery. He holds a number of degrees and awards, including a degree from the University of California, Davis, Intensive Brewing Science for Practical Brewing, and he is the 2020 recipient of the Russell Shear Award for Innovation in Brewing. Brendan, welcome. Thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, so first off, uh, there's a number of reasons why I selfishly wanted to, to chat with you today. Um, I look forward to diving into them over the next hour. I think we got a lot of fun stuff we can talk about. But I did want to preface this conversation with the fact that uh, you were the person that got me my start in this industry. And I, I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to work with you at Odell and all the mentorship you've provided me over the years. Uh, it's always great to be able to reach out when I have a question or uh, you know something going on with my business. So I uh, can't thank you enough. You're truly an innovator, both as a brewer and also as a leader. I think that's one of the things I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about what you've done with Odell over the years and uh, some of the unique structures that that company is. And uh, I think the only flaw that I know about you is that you're an Avalanche fan. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, uh, we'll talk know, about... <laughs> you know that that respects mutual, Joe. It was uh, it was awesome to get to work with you at, at Odell, but e even more rewarding to see you take off and, and to be able to kind of talk shop with you along the way as, as you're innovating a lot and we're bouncing ideas around uh, I was just talking to John earlier about pH adjustment and, you know, stuff that you and I just kind of talk about every time we get together. It's, you know, we geek out 
we yeah. talk hockey dogs whatever <laughs> and then uh get right into technical beer stuff and it's it's always a blast and it's super rewarding to see you uh kicking ass the way you have thanks man that that means a lot i appreciate that it's been it's been very fun uh it's been I, you know starting to feel like a veteran in this industry it felt like yesterday i just got into it and all of a sudden it's almost 15 years later so uh it's crazy <laughs> uh but yeah i guess that's a good segue um I thought it'd just be fun to give give the listeners uh, a little bit of background about your kind of career arc as a not only a brewer, but the brewery co-owner and, and really a leader at Odell over this time. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I started in, uh, as you mentioned earlier, 95. And at the time, my wife and I had just graduated from CSU, Colorado State University. And we were ready. We had a business plan. We had property. We had financing. We were ready to open our own brewery actually back in New York where, where I grew up. And, you know, we figured we better learn some of the ins and outs of, of actually working at a brewery beyond just making really tasty home brews. So she got a job at New Belgium back then. And I started at Odell uh, two weeks later. So we had, we each had incredible opportunities within these fast growing companies um, Katie worked at New Belgium for 15 years and, and I've been at Odell a long time now. Um, but along the way, we realized there is a lot more to it than just making tasty beer. And you mentioned the leadership aspects of it. And that's actually, for me, the re most rewarding part of my work right now is being able to work with teams and watching people develop and watching folks thrive. I mean, like you, again, we spent what, four or five years together and you spent the last decade thriving and leading another you're taking you know the stuff we did together and applying it with your own twist on it and you've built a super strong team and there's nothing more rewarding than that it's uh that's what it's all about for me and um where it started as as just beer um it's it's much more about man leading people and and creating super cool work environments that are unique in today's world you know if you work at most any other industry you don't get to do these kind of things so I, i'm very thankful to have this opportunity and it didn't go exactly as planned because the plan was to be at odell for two years um but it's been it's been really a, an amazing ride and it started with the odells actually granting uh myself and eric smith who's our ceo now some a small piece of ownership many years ago and then that just kind of grew and, and we had uh, stock appreciation right. And then when the Odells were, were deciding to transition out, we had an opportunity to, to buy in and, uh, and we took advantage of that, you know, exactly the peak of the market. So it's been, <laughs> it's been a fun ride. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into some. I want to talk about the ESOP and some of that a little bit later. Um, so I'm glad you kind of, prep, uh, you know, brought that up, but um yeah, in you know, you talk about the leadership. It's something that I, I feel the exact same way. I mean, I think the most rewarding thing now is is really providing people with opportunities. And um, you know, I'm always very proud. Like you know, when when one of my brewers you know buys a home or you know gets to do something you know to move their life into that next step, it's it's something that you really instilled in me. And uh, I remember having a conversation with you. You know, I when I was uh, you know I was in my my 20s and. You know, I thought I just wanted to wear my brewing boots and mash in every day. That's what I thought brewing was. And uh, I think you were the first one to really, you know, say like being a brewer is so much more. And it's, you know, I've, uh, 
you know, I always see that with you, you know, not only um, from some of the, the relationships you build on like the raw material side or your suppliers, but you know, what you do for leading the team and stuff. So um, yeah, it's really cool. I think you, uh, you know, have a unique uh, vision for all of that. So it's, um, it's fun. Um, and with that, you know, talking about some of the innovation, um, you know, Adele is, is definitely in my mind, uh, one of the most innovative breweries. Um, you guys are always an inspiration, I think, to many of us in the brewing world. I mean, I, I don't think there's a brewery you talk to that doesn't hold you guys in one of the highest regards for quality and innovation. And um, especially at your size, it get, I know it, it gets a little more challenging, I think, moving the ship as it gets bigger sometimes. But um, one of the things that I think you do so well is, is in the raw material realm, specifically with hops. Uh, you know, you, I know you were one of the founding members of the hop quality group along some other, um, iconic brewing individuals. Um, but I guess what's, uh, you know, li little history, what got you so motivated on the hop side and then what continues to excite you about them? And I, I think we're going to spend a fair bit of time here so we can kind of <laughs> spitball as we go. Yeah. But, uh, you're, you're the one that instilled this love of hops. When I started Odell, I just wanted to make barrel aged beers and sour beers and, and you took me to a hop field and uh, I just want to make IPA. So I make. <laughs> You're really good at those uh, sour barrel aged beers. Man. You had some beauties, deconstruction. That was a nice one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, it started early on where you realize that it, I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to beer and it's, it's torturous at times, but it was one of those things early on. It's like to make the best beer we possibly can, we really need to understand our raw materials um, at to the, you know, to the most basic level, which is what initially took me out to the hop fields before, you know, it was before anybody was really, not a lot of people were going out for selection, right? You'd see, uh, you'd see the Grossman family out there, for example, but you didn't see a whole lot of other people out and about uh, other than the big brewers at the time. And just the, you know, getting a chance and you know, all these people now, Joe, I see the relationships you've built with them and, and your friends and just getting a chance to meet with the hop farmers was so eye opening and, and the alignment was so strong, right? We're all trying to do the same thing. They're trying to make a great living within this industry and, and provide the best raw materials for us to create the best beer and and have strong relationships so we have a sustainable business together. And, and none of that has changed. Like the market's gone up and down 10 times since then, but none of that's changed. You know, you have a conversation with uh, any of these guys in the industry and we still share the same goals. We want it to be healthy. We want it to be sustainable for everybody in the loop. And getting into the, the fields, you really start to take that, that quality to a different level and realize that every little thing matters. And the more you can influence the quality of your raw material, the better off your beer is going to be in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And I think it definitely shows in, in all of your beers, obviously, uh, you know, that, that dedication to that and spending the time out working with the farms. I remember one of the trips with you out there walking into Jason Peralt's uh, office, which was like a little trailer parked on the, on the property back when we went there and, uh, him just handing us some mosaic. Well, before it was called mosaic, I think he got, I think he got named the following year, maybe two years later, I forget exactly. Um, but yeah, handing them to him us and just, you know, watching us rub them and seeing the excitement on our face. And uh, 
you know, that, that was cool. And I know you had been throwing that in the field for years prior. So yeah. it's, it's gotta be fun, you know, watching all these hops come up. Um, I think you guys are the first brewery to what have your own pellet mill. That uh, that probably I, true. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what everyone else is doing. Honestly, <laughs> doesn't Zach yeah. have one? Zach had one, but I think he had one he, first. He yeah, he, yeah. Talk talk a little bit about like I know you had the rupture process. You did that beer rupture, which was I thought was was really cool. Um, but you know, kind of going into that innovation, some of the stuff that you guys have done with hops, and just I guess uh not only that but then like what you know you've always been a big proponent of whole leaf uh you know and some some of your well in your hoppy beers and some aspects so yeah just kind of the evolution of of what you've done in your hop profiles and and then some of those processes that have developed over the years yeah i'll let me just uh i'll i'll get to that but i don't want, don't want to lose a thought real quick when you mentioned jason um, Peralt just had a conversation with him a couple weeks ago about you know and how exciting it was mosaic. We were we were stupid enough to actually use it in what a barrel aged woodcut beer, I think, before it had a name. Not not in a hazy IPA, right? Yeah, I remember that beer. Woodcut beer. <laughs> um, but no, talking to Jason a couple weeks ago about an experimental variety we've been using for it's got to be seven years now called HBC 638. And I think we're the only ones who really connected with it. It's not one of those like, uh, you know, maybe 586 is going to get some wings or one of these other brands, uh, other varieties rather, is going to, you know, connect a little bit stronger on the IPA front. But we were talking about HBC 638 as a potential like all around hop, you know, could it be used the way we use Centennial and the way we use Cascade and and um, something that that is stronger for the farmer and for the brewer, right? It's, it's, it yields better. It's harvested late. It's disease resistant. Like there's so many positive qualities agronomically. And then it's just so pleasant in the brew house, right? It's not, it's not a unicorn. It's not a rock star hop, but it plays so well with everything we've done with it that it, it may just have a space as a different type of hop as more of that utility hop really versatile versatile hop so just having a conversation with jason um who's just such a knowledgeable guy you, you know him he's like one of the smartest guys i've ever met um having a conversation yeah. with him about what this hop could do and what it could be and what he sees in it and talking about value proposition throughout the supply chain it's like and that kind of stuff's really exciting and that's beyond just what smells amazing and what you know what's the next citron, the next mosaic. It's like, no, what's good for the industry? What could work for all of us? Let's work together to figure this stuff out. And uh, those are the kind of conversations and relationships and industry leadership that just, uh, I get geeked about, man. That's that's what keeps keeps my bucket full after all these years. Yeah, that's cool to hear. It's um, I know, yeah, you guys have been pretty hot on that 638. I think you've sent me some to, to play around with a couple of times. Um, but it was, you know, it reminds me too of a conversation I had with Jason this past harvest. We talked a lot about obviously the pressures of climate change, uh, water scarcity. Um, you know, we start looking at these hops that, you know, we're, we're putting in pounds and pounds per barrel into some of these beers. And I think we need to always remember that we need to be good stewards to, to the environment too, and um, not just be wasteful with these and, and understand, uh, you know, if, if a hop is is yielding six or so bales per acre, is that really the right hop to be uh, to be using? Um, yeah. You know, I actually uh, was talking um, 
on when I, when Matt Cole interviewed me last uh, on this past podcast, um, we talked a lot about this, and it's something that's gotten me really interested. Um, and you know, it's I I feel like I spent half of harvest talking with farmers about this aspect versus what's the new exciting aroma. You know, everything right. was really talking about bells per acre inputs. Uh, you know, disease resistance. So yeah, it's cool that you know you guys are promoting a hop that that is going to do that and, um, you know, might, might solve some, some issues for these farmers, you know, it's yep. going to put less, less diesel to, to grow it, less, um, carbon footprint and, you know, a huge impact. So, so that's cool. Um, yeah, you know, we need, we need some, some new lager hops too, or just some, you know, general bittering hops. It, it's not, we, we went so far down the, the IPA path of, of the next, big sexy hop that i think that maybe some of the rest uh, of the needs were were overlooked a little bit whereas it used to be completely the other way right everything was about the 2020 hop right let's get 20 bales and 20 alpha and, and make extract out of everything and then it was like boom let's find the next next citrus mosaic um, but yeah we do need well, to find some efficient hops for for the growers and for the industry the whole brewing industry not just you know a subset of craft for sure i think that's a good point you know it's interesting i i, I actually haven't talked to you about this much but um and i don't know how much you're using of the southern hemispheres we've definitely we've we've always used a fair bit of galaxy um and we've gotten into the new zealand hops more especially as that market's become a lot more transparent it's actually really cool to see what's happened down there yeah it is and um i love uh i love seeing like the farm reports because they have the i mean they essentially have the terroir of the soil uh when you when you select a hop which is really cool um way more like almost wine focused uh but then you talk to them and you got like a Rewaka, which is yielding, you know, two bales per acre, you know, equivalent in their, you know, metric tons. And it's like, yeah, we, we, we might not be getting back to that 20 bales, you know, but we need more than two. We need well. more than two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. It's a tough pill to swallow, you know, and then, and then I look at it as, you know, then we're shipping that across the world and yeah. I don't know, it gets to be a, um, sometimes a little, a little challenging to justify that, but um are you guys still pretty involved in the colorado hop involved or like the hop scene i know that was kind of how i got uh you know my start in the hop yards with you you and myself and uh chad jacobson uh yeah. zach turner and yeah. uh you know taking trips out to visit some some interesting some uh some characters out of the of the hop brewing community at the time yep Yep. You know, I think, yeah, you know, there, it's probably just about the same as the last time you saw it. There hasn't been much growth. Um, you know, we'll, we'll play around here and there, but it's really not a legitimate industry like, like it is in maybe some other, other parts of the country. It sounds like Michigan's doing, doing pretty well. Um, but I, I'd say Colorado is still kind of a step behind, not in terms of quality, obviously look at the Cascade cup. Yeah. But, that was exciting for Billy goat. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, but yeah, just the, the infrastructure is not, not quite there. Um, and, and the risk is, is significant in Colorado with hailstorms we get and, and just the weather, weather patterns. It's not quite as, not that anything's predictable, but not quite as predictable as maybe some other areas. So, um, we, we just play around, but we're not in deep by any means. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah it really um, hasn't developed. You know, you were there when we were really trying. We were really 
investing quite a bit of of time and energy and money into trying to help get folks off the ground and get the equipment but it's like a brewery man you know this joe it's it's so capital intensive to have a a professional hop yard with a really good picker and you know a really good kiln and a way to bale your hops and at least get them in a bale right i mean to for us to brew we have the hop back like you mentioned we're we're fan of whole leaf hops and we still are we, we use quite a quite a bit of raw hop in our hop back process for for ipas um but that's not it, it's kind of hard to get a you know apple bag full of loose hops and you know kind of wet hop style with any any kind of volume so we yeah. do it for a, for a pilot brews in denver those 10 barrel systems cool yeah it's a, i remember going out there and we would basically be loading up like burlap sacks and throwing them in the back of a van and you know trying to race back to the front range to right. use them but yeah i mean you're absolutely right you know you you know anybody who's been out to yakima in the last decade has seen the infrastructure they've put in and um i mean that was always the issue with colorado right if you're growing a couple acres how do you justify putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh you know capital intensive equipment that in all honesty you run for 30 days or less you know that's right. a very hard thing to justify so I know there were a couple of uh, at least one, you know, Yakima brewer or a hop grower back in the day that was <clears throat> looking at the Western Slope as maybe plugging in a, a business unit, but that that didn't pencil out. There was just too much risk and it, the costs weren't in alignment to to make that kind of move. So uh, it's unfortunate. I wish we had a, a thriving hop industry in our backyard, but we just have to go a little bit further west. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, I'm glad it's at least, you know, it's cool to see Billy Goat. I met those folks a couple of years ago. They were down in Austin. Um, so it was that was pretty fun. And actually, what um, maybe tell people about the Cascade Cup, since what you are one of the founding uh, members of the Hop Quality Group and like what what that means for the growers when they win. Yeah, it's a big deal, right? I mean, it's uh, the, like you mentioned, the best of the best in the industry. Um, judging Cascade Cup, cuts of cascade hops that are that are presented anonymously like like they are at a gabf or world beer cup for beer and the idea was to have a, a cup kind of you know somewhere in line with the stanley cup something big and 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 substantial that that someone would hold for a year and uh and and say they had the best cascades in in the world or the country or um so that it's it's a super exciting i haven't judged it did you judge this year yeah, I judged it uh, this year, and I think it uh, was 2020 or 20. Yeah, it's 2020 in Portland. I was nice. out there for that HGA. How many? I cuts? actually. How many? Uh, it was a. It was a lot this year. Um, I think we had, we had four or five tables set up with eight cuts. I think we had close to 50, 50 cores. That's great. Um, we did have a few, a few farmers kind of pulled like what some brewers do to GABF, and uh, you know we're. <laughs> Stuff in the ballot box a little bit. They sent in a few samples, you know, you don't, I think they're only supposed to send in the one, but it was, uh, it was good. It was, and I, yeah, I, I well, I, I think I picked theirs as my number one. So nice. it was, it was very good. Um, and that's the first time I think it's left the Pac Northwest and yeah. And to speak to that trophy, it's, it's, uh, it is big yep. and it's pretty obnoxious to ship. Uh, yes. <laughs> that seems to be the thing every year is how to, how to get it to the farmers. So it's interesting uh, to see the other, you know, obviously most of the hops are grown in Yakima, right. But it's interesting to see that Oregon's taking it, uh, yeah. taking it pre pretty often. Colorado's picked one up now. It's, it's kind of, it, it's interesting. 
It's interesting. Yeah, the old guard is, uh, they were, it, it was an interesting, uh, when they asked Billy Goat at, uh, at the HGA this year, um, I think there was a lot of the collective, who? Uh, so yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, yeah, so, you know, you, we know you use a lot of whole leaf, uh, obviously a lot of pellets. Um, you guys have your own little pellet mill that you'll do some, some pelletizing with, which is, I think, super cool. I think last time I was there, Scott was showing me how it's all set up in the, in the little uh, coolers to yeah. keep everything colder and whatnot, which is pretty rad. Um, that thing's great you... with the experimentals, you know, when this, we're just getting going with an experimental and, and we're just talking a little bit in a handful of bales. Um, that, that thing's great for that because it's small scale and we can rip some pellets and really try some things out. Um, what, Cause it's hard, you know, the, obviously the, the farms set up in the pack Northwest are set up for large batches so when you, you only get a handful of bales out of a, you know, elite line, it, it's kind of nice to be able to run some bales just through a pellet mill at home and, and try those pellets out because those systems really aren't designed for it. I know more and more folks are putting in smaller kilns and, and kind of R&D type systems out there, but it's been, it's been really uh, nice to have this added flexibility of having our own pellet mill and, 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 uh, hammer mill yeah it's cool it's it's been fun like seeing some of your projects when i'm around visiting uh it's 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 good time um are you guys doing anything with some of the newer hot products uh that's like the flowables or anything like that are you guys sticking pretty uh traditional yeah i mean we're we've been pretty stubborn and by we it's it's my fault um <laughs> up to this point but just now we are again when you talk about sustainability of of the market and and uh shipping large bales and i don't know there's we we have to really start looking at these advanced hop products so we we at least understand what they do so we're just really getting we're late to the game admittedly but we're just starting to to look at a, a methodical way to uh, examine them kind of at our pilot level uh, not not on the big system but at least to understand how these things are going. So I'm all ears, man. If you got some experience there <laughs> in a product you really like, let me know. We'll start there. For sure. I'll keep you posted. We're, we're, we're kind of in the same boat, you know, I think probably because of uh, your mentoring of me, I've been a little, little slower to, to jump <laughs> over. Uh, well, those products have come a long way in a short period of time too, you know, they have, they have, we're, we're starting to play with them more. Um, you know, we're, we're just up against some, some of it is just seeing if we can, again, just be a little more efficient, you know, reduce some of our waste. We don't have a centrifuge or any way to, to separate. So we're doing everything we've done just to try to be more efficient. Sorry, the dogs are, they're, they're fired up. Zots and Pearl are fired up today. They know you're on the call. Nice. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, you know, I think just to kind of wrap up some of the hop stuff, and then I definitely want to talk about the pilot brew houses after this, but, uh, wrap up some of the hot stuff. I know we talked some of this, um, you know, the challenges that we're facing, but what, you know, like right now there's obviously acres being pulled out. Um, farmers are, you know, maybe a little, a little worried about what's, what's going on. I think you made a good point about developing hops, not just for a, a certain niche of craft. Um, but what, yeah, what are the challenges that you really see, across the raw materials and how us brewers, you know, how can we help support across all sizes? Yeah, I think the number one thing, and, and it's been this way the whole time I've been here, is communication. 
we we really finally I mean, part of the hop quality group really was stepping in and being that liaison that you know when InBev took over um when InBev took over Anheuser-Busch they lost their quality program that you know Scott was a part of right where he was out there advocating for the quality of the the raw materials and it was just kind of abandoned and no one was there and the, and the dealer network in hops didn't really connect the grower necessarily to the brewer so we kind of broke down some of those barriers back then and and now we have direct as you know we have direct conversations with the hop farmers and that's the biggest thing we can do at every size is really just to communicate what's going on don't be i mean it doesn't feel good for me to call and say, listen, I went a little long. I'm long and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to need this and that from 23, but I need it in 24 or 20, you know, it doesn't feel great to be, you know, budgeting to be slightly down, but at the same time, I need to let our hop growers know as soon as I know, so they can make the proper adjustments on their end. And then for me personally, it's important to also communicate my commitment to staying in a partnership with the people that, that we are um, partners with that have been valuable to us over the years. So uh, communication is, is it, I mean, that's, that's number one, just being really honest as soon as you understand your needs, because again, as you know, Joe, it takes a while to make these adjustments when you're ripping pops out of the ground or you're planting new varieties, you know, when all of a sudden we all ask for citra at the same time, uh, that was hard to react to. And they did react. Everyone put them in the ground. And then, you know, three years later, they're mature plants and there's more citra than you need. So now they got to rip them out. So really being forward thinking, it's never been more difficult to predict what's going to happen. But as soon as we have an idea of what's going on, we need to let our suppliers know. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. I feel like I'm getting, I get this question from more brewers than I ever have. Just, you know, how can how can we, you know, help our, our suppliers? Cause we are in this together and uh, you know, and no matter what the brewery size, you know, we, we all started, we all started at zero. Right. Yep. Uh, and um, everybody's a, you know, a different, different inflection points in their brewery. And yeah, we need to, we need to not just be supportive when they're doing everything for us. We need to help them, you know, to get through these times too. So it's a great yeah. advice. Well, and there's, I mean, I think you mentioning the, the size, it, it matters no matter what size you are, right? There's 10,000 breweries or whatever. It's that's that long tail is what adds up and, and creates quite a bit of volume. So by having these conversations, they can aggregate that information at the grower level, at the dealer level and make, make wise decisions for the next couple of years, because everything's changed so quickly, so dramatically, you know, after the COVID incident, <laughs> <laughs> the, the fallout is just like i don't think anyone could say with certainty what's going to happen in two years from now right it's been everything was flipped upside down we were you know you're all drafted then all of a sudden it, there is no draft right <laughs> now you go okay cool we'll package real quick and then no wait draft is coming back sort of we're not sure like the consumer wants this you're like, wow it's never yeah. been more difficult to predict so we just need to keep communicating yeah, that's a good point. Well, I definitely want to talk about some of that stuff coming out of COVID. And I know you guys have uh, the, obviously um, 
you've seen your your business go in multi-directions after, but first uh, we're going to take a short break uh, for this message and then come right back for more of this conversation with Brendan McGivney of Odell Brewing. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back. And we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Well, welcome back. Um, yeah, we got Brendan McGivney here, um, you know, just talking about coming out of, uh, you know, the last two and a half, three years, how crazy it was. You, know, you mentioned going draft to package it. We were, we were basically hundred percent draft distribution in Austin here. And uh, yeah, overnight we lost all of all, you know, 400 points of distribution, which was, <laughs> uh, which was crazy, you know, Um so yeah, we flexed into package. Um, we've we've been pretty fortunate. We had draft come back uh, a little bit faster than I think some markets did, and came back really strong for us. Um, but you know, you guys uh, being regional, obviously, there's some other challenges. Uh, you know, and I guess with that, um, I mean, when I was there, obviously, we had a true flagship. I'm actually wearing the uh, '90s feeling shirt today in, in honor of the the uh, conversation. Um, but, you know, yeah, what, I mean, you guys have, have ventured out into wine. Um, you now have a brew pub in Denver. Uh, you got, you know, your other uh, brewery in Denver, but it's not a, it's not a restaurant, but you do actually operate a full pizza place brew pub now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What, like, how are you seeing this coming out of COVID to just try to, you know, be as, is in control of your growth and make sure you're you're looking long term, you know, and being smart about it. Uh, yeah, you know, so a lot of the things that we've done over the last few years, we actually started planning, you know, about five or six years ago, where our strategic our strategic plan involved diversifying our business. We could kind of see what was happening with beer, the you know hyper growth times were were kind of coming to an end we saw what was going on there we understood that local is the future and that we are Colorado's top independent craft brewery and that we really need to lean into that and, and focus on Colorado and build out um, more smaller communities within within our home state so that's where you know we've had that pilot system in Fort Collins for so long that generates a lot of interest and keeps the the innovation going 
So to add two more spots in Denver that are standalone 10 barrel brew houses, you know, start to finish where everything's only served over the bar helps to generate more innovation, more creativity, and then builds two more unique communities within our overall Colorado community. So that was the intent there to diversify, um, focus on Colorado and, and continue to innovate. So it was just kind of, you know, again, this was before COVID. So that stuff has helped us. As you said, draft comes back really quick in your own premise. That hasn't been a problem. The, the Sloan's Lake and five point spots are doing great. It's been, it's been a pleasure to mess around. I mean, sipping pretty Brent did that at uh, five points. He was just goofing around, made a guava goes, and it went. People went nuts over it. We're like, yeah, maybe we should take this to the big system. <laughs> you know, now sipping pretty, sipping brand family, uh, ninety shilling IPA. They're still, you know, ninety and IPA are still one and two, like they've been since you were there. But sipping pretty's right there with them. You know, so yeah. that, that's been exciting. And now we got Lotterado kind of running up and trying to join that group as well. So it's been. That stuff's all come out of those innovation centers uh, of the 10 barrel brew houses. And then Denver's, you know, very different than Fort Collins. So it's, it's been fun to reach the Denver community with those brew houses. And uh, we realized after five points that, you know, folks could probably use some food with their pizza. That's kind of what led to Sloan's Lake. And then you guys were amazing. You and your team, you know, you remember before we, we started Sloan's Lake, we came down and paid you a visit and, you guys were so generous sharing information and, you know, Vinny and Natalie shared a lot of information with us. And um, it's, that's just one of those things that's special about our, our industry, right. Is, is how often we do talk to each other, help each other out, share information uh, to help make better decisions for all of us. So um, I don't know, those, those have been really fun projects. Um, Not that they're not challenging. Yeah. Again, COVID and all of a sudden you have a restaurant. (laughs) that's dope. yeah and a restaurant's a totally different animal especially coming out of covid i mean the obviously staffing is harder and uh you know just making sure we're you know we obviously want to treat our employees well and pay them and yeah you know so navigating all of that and still understanding all the you know pricing sensitivities and yeah <laughs> input apparently, pressures and stuff apparently there's more turnover in a kitchen than there is in a brew house <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean I, I mean, I feel like I was like one of the first people to ever leave Odell on the production side, it felt like. So it's uh, you guys are amazing with retention and, and you know, something that we we constantly aspire to. Um, yeah, it's cool. You know, talking about the different facilities, you basically have like three, three little pilot systems that you get to kind of kind of be the I suppose the puppet master to some extent and get to get to play around on, which has got to be really fun. Um you know, especially uh, you, you still get to play on the the one at uh, in Fort Collins a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Eli's been leaning in a little bit there, so I gotta I gotta wait for my turn now. You know, <laughs> yeah. Eli Kaladin, he's our technical director, and he he jumps in there quite a bit. We we've really spread that one out. We got the all the brewers are in it, the seller team, uh, the packaging crew. I mean, everybody's brewing on that. It's kind of like the old days. It's a lot of fun. You that's know, cool that's we, we did go through a time period where we had one person responsible for the program and now we've we've spread it back out again and it's uh it's it's invigorating for the for the whole the whole team that's cool that yeah that was it was always uh, such a treat when we got to brew on the pilot system and um you know sometimes you get bounced by doug because he would have you know wild hair that morning and 
decide he wanted to brew instead of you, but yeah, uh, that well, probably sometimes you could finish his brew for him. <laughs> there, that happened more times than not. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right about grain out time. Yep, right, right. Yeah, he always had to fly out around noon, it seemed like, right? Right about green out time. Um, yeah, that's cool. And then, you know, I was just thinking, I because, uh, you know, I've been seeing on the, the social medias, you know, thinking of all that small batch innovation. But you guys just had your small batch fest, uh, which is cool that you brought that back. I know it was kind of dormant for, for a few years, but uh, it sounds like that that party's back and is going really well. That's cool. Yeah. It sounded like it was really well received this year. It was a little bit smaller, but we, we changed the format. So you didn't have to wait in long lines to pay a little bit more for a ticket and kind of leisurely try anything you wanted. And, um, you know, everyone's not running to the one brand and creating chaos. They, they were just able to kind of relax and have a good day with a few bands and some food. So yeah, it was, a, I think it was one of the most successful ones, honestly. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fun. I I loved uh, loved those when I was when I was living back there. Um, they were a good time to make it up for one of them sometime soon. Um, kind of bummed. They you know we we normally up there in the summer for the Wellworks Festival, but they they took a year off, so I won't be making my my pilgrimage up to the Front Range in a couple of weeks like I normally would. So I have to figure out another time to get up there. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, going you know talking about how good you guys are at retention. You know, I think you guys do an amazing job uh, fostering an inclusive uh, employee culture. And um, and then one of the things that you guys did a number of years back was going to the ESOP. And, and I kind of talked about it earlier, you know, I think I, I'm really curious, you know, I, I forget what year you that officially happened, but you know, I, I know not everything can probably be perfect with it, but, you know, what are some of the challenges that you face and what are some of the successes for it? And, you know, what, what have you learned over those years that, you know, um, you provide as like guidance for, for places looking to do that, or, you know, just, just some takeaways from it. You know, I think it's such a cool sounding program and, you know, obviously a few breweries have gone through it, but yeah, I'm just kind of curious to, to get your take on it, you know, having seen it now from a few years out. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to, to back up to kind of our purpose of, you know, building community through beer, our community starts with our coworkers, right? And, and we follow kind of the evergreen path. Our, our intent is not to build up the value of the company and sell it, right? The way we operate is for this thing to, to be long lasting and to turn over kind of generation to generation. Um, and in order to do that, it really does need to be a people first company. Um, it, the overarching principle is, you know, if we take care of our people, they'll, they'll take care of the business, right? Because it can't just be a few people sitting in offices saying, now this thing's going to be successful. It's like it takes everybody, it takes 150 of us to operate Odell Brewing at, at, you know, the most efficient and, and amazing way possible. It, it can't just be a handful of managers casting down upon the rest, the direction. So the people first principle is really important. And I think the ESOP just helped reinforce it. We always kind of had the ESOP mentality. We all, before we had ownership, you didn't, you know, people without ownership were treating it like their own brewery. When you were there, it's like, we were out there talking about Odell, like it was our own. We were, you know, we acted like owners and now people act like owners because they are it's not, it's not just a, a feeling it's, it's a real thing. So 19% of the company is owned 
by the ESOP and then coworkers are, are part of that ESOP um, after a year and then fully vested after five. So, so far it's worked out really well. Other folks that have moved on have you know been able to take advantage of the value they've built in the company. And the folks that are still with us are continuing to, to help us build value in the company. Um, I, I, I love that we did it. We did it back in um, 2015. And it's uh, so far so good. It's it's complicated. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to manage on the financial side. I know, uh, you know, Chris, our CFO, say it's, it, there's a lot to it. It's complicated. He's right. Um, but it, it's awesome. It's uh, I, I would encourage anybody who's even thinking about it to really look into it. Um, That's again, cool. It's cool one to of hear. Those unique opportunities beyond beer. It's just one of those things we if we can do as you talked about setting up your system. So your coworkers, your employees can live a good life and not, not be, you know, food or housing insecure, especially in a tough market like Austin or, you know, Fort Collins is expensive and just about, uh, you know, a lot of places in the country are quite expensive. Now the old brewer salary doesn't quite cut it. So being very thoughtful about how we can continue to take care of our people so they continue to take care of each other and the business is is more and more of a challenge, but it's the most rewarding thing you can do. For sure. Yeah, I think, you know, we we refer to it as our, you know, the Pine Health eco- ecosystem and, you know, it takes all the different components in it for it to thrive. And, you know, I think one of the things that you kind of were touching on, too, about, um, you know, people people thinking they're part of that ownership and, you know, really having a, a say in the direction of the company was, was so true. And I think something I, you know, one of the takeaways I, you know, took from you was working there was, uh, and I think one of the reasons why you guys have stayed so, uh, you know, at so innovative and relevant and exciting is because you do put that innovation and put all those ideas uh, back on the team. You know, it's, it's a lot of different people coming up with ideas. I think about that all the time. Like, there's so many breweries that, you know, that it's like they still have that the brewmaster that that comes down with the scribed tablets and says, this is what we're brewing. And, uh, you know, I think those days are, are, are pretty long gone. You know, I think, you, you know, we, we look at it as we have, well, we have four systems and it's a, it's a great opportunity for people to get in there and brew their own recipes. And, um, yeah, like you said, with sipping pretty, we've, we've had some huge wins come out of, uh, uh you know, what, what our brewers are, are coming up with. And, and yeah, I mean, if it was just me, I'd probably make three different IPAs and, you know, be happy with that. So it's, you know, I got people that are excited about lagers now and excited yeah. about uh, wheat beers and, you know, all these different styles. So, you know, we're, we're well, able you to let them diversify. Run. And I see it. I see when I go visit you, I see you let, let folks do their thing. You empower them to be creative yeah. and to follow their passion and, and to, to learn their technical stuff on their own and bring it to the table and bounce those ideas off of you. Like you, you do it, man. You do what, what I try to do. I see you doing, and that's empowering people. You, you provide guidance and support, but you let them run. You know, it, when you're talking to your folks about beers, it's, it, it's amazing. It's, it's theirs, but you're just there to support. And then it's, it's a total team thing. Uh, if you're just telling them what to do, I mean, you mentioned puppet master, like I, Brett runs and does his own thing. Marnie runs and does her own thing. I just, we just bounce ideas around and, you know, every once in a while I'm like, Hey, we need to, 
you need to use 638 as a bittering hop <laughs> only so we can provide feedback for Jason on what this thing could do. Um, but other than that, if we're developing a new beer for the big system, we'll have more structure, but it's way more about empowerment and innovation and, and passion projects. And then beautiful things happen out of that, you know? For Monday. sure. I mean, that's, well, that's how, you know, probably all the, all the great beers that, you know, you and I and anybody's created has come from that pure passion, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember. And I still uh, love it, man. I still love it. I love drinking beer. I'm not one of those, like, I don't drink cocktails. I know the rest of the world does. And, and, you know, cross drinking is not even a thing. You just, people just drink. Uh, but I love beer. I love craft beer. I love what we're doing. I drink, I'm in New York right now, visiting family. And I'm drinking Allagash White and I'm drinking Bright Eye Beer out of Long Beach. These guys that just started up a couple of years ago, right at the beginning of COVID, they're making great beers, you know, right in-house. They don't distribute. There's there's great beer all throughout our, throughout the world, but throughout our country now at a different level than there ever was. And I love it, man. I, I love drinking beer. And I'm just glad that I still enjoy it the way I always did because I see I see folks getting burnt out. And I know it's a big topic and it's been bounced around in some, some rags and, and stuff that comes through my inbox. And I know it's real, but I, I kind of, I'm almost like change junkie. I love the innovation. I love the creativity. I love trying new things. And even in this environment that's changing so quickly and some of it's challenging, it's fun to come up with new systems and new programs and, and you know, how can we think smaller again? How can we think differently? How do we really focus on our home state? How do we get into a, a brew pub situation? How do we uh, leverage our own premise to really build community through beer and connect with charitable organizations? I mean, the house that beer built that you, you know, we talked about and then you ran with down there as well. It's like these things are like, man, there's so much fun. And, and it's all because because we make great beer and that's what started our whole business. But because of that, we get to do all these other great things, but I still love beer. I love it. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I, I, uh, I, I do, I do love cocktails and wine too. I, yeah, I'm kind of one of those people. I drink everything. Um, but yeah, beer is, beer is first, first and foremost, my love. I think there's just something so uh, agriculturally transparent in good craft beer that uh, you know, and, I think it's, you get to really see the craftsmanship at work. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that uh, I love, you know, about being in this industry. And, you know, I think, um, I, you know, I think I was probably there at one point. Uh, I think I was too focused on, on just brewing and brewing was all I cared about. And I was, you know, kind of invested my whole life and, uh, you know, it, it kind of got away from some, some of the hobbies that I love and, you know, spending time with, you know, my wife, Crystal and, um, doing the stuff that we love. And, and so it's in some ways, I think for me, the pandemic kind of actually recentered that and got me kind of focused on that. I, yeah. I think I've come back loving beer more than I ever have, which has been really fun, um, to kind of find it again in some ways, you know, and get excited about those beers and traveling for beer again, which you know yeah. I hadn't done for a few years. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like, man, life's like beer, right? You need, you need balance for it to be the best it can be, you need balance. For sure. You can't make a beer with all hops and you can't make a life with all work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's, it's, it's good. I think, you know, for every brewer out there, especially ones that have, you know, been in the industry for a short amount of time, 
uh, you know, it's making sure that they have that balance. I feel like I, I find that as a, a common thread when I'm listening to beer podcasts more and more like reading interviews, people are talking about their, the stuff they love to do outside of, of beer, just as much as what they're talking about their brewery. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's cool that you mentioned that. So um, now, now the time to talk about men's league hockey or what? Yeah, let's So you're, <laughs> yep, you're, uh, you're, you're a pretty, pretty good hockey player. I got to play against you at the craft brewers conference in Minnesota, which Dude, was, that, uh, that was a blast. I, was I missed impressed. you this year. I uh, know. I was impressed with the level of talent out there. This, you, this year was a little Jason slower, a little slower, a little slower this year, but Jason was still running around all of us. So good. he's, he hasn't lost a step. Um, yeah, well, so what else do you I know? Yeah, you're you're a big hockey guy. We did a really fun beer together called Silky Mittens. Yep. Uh um, but yeah, what else uh, what else are you, are you up to? Well, I love skiing and being in the mountains, you know, being in Colorado. If if you don't, there's something wrong with you, I think. Uh, but then my my newest hobby, the one I kind of picked up early on in COVID, is picking up old audio equipment, old analog audio equipment and rebuilding it. So you know, desoldering and resoldering things and rebuilding speakers and old amplifiers. So I've got Katie's is a wonderful human who lets me fill my basement full of, you know, 70s audio gear and slowly rebuild it till it sounds like something good. That's cool. That's uh that's fine. There's a guy that I ride uh, trials with who's really into um uh, rebuilding old organs. Uh, so I kind of uh I, I kind of understand that uh feel it. It takes a certain mindset. I don't think I'd have the patience for it, but that's I cool. didn't think I ever would either, but I'm, <laughs> I'm digging it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I guess, yeah, one of the things you, know, you talk about the mountains and, and, you know, the beautiful landscape of Colorado, obviously there's some challenges. I think that, you know, you guys are facing from uh, just the, I guess the natural environment, you know, you guys have dealt with some fires that have impacted your water pretty significantly uh just water shortage as a whole on the front range seems to be a topic that i hear from some of my friends that are still living up there yeah so i guess you know you guys have always been very focused on sustainability but what yeah what are those challenges and what are the stuff that you're doing and you know what's what's your kind of outlook on some of that as as we move forward sure yeah our, our biggest sustainability you know water has always been top of the you know even back when you were with us we were doing all we can to reduce our, our water usage and reuse. And um, so we've done a nice job there where our, our water usage per barrel is really low relative to the rest of the industry, which we're proud of and is a focus point for us. But our, our big sustainability initiative right now is actually uh, installing a CO2 recovery system that we just bought through Pentair that'll be delivered here shortly. So we should be able to recover 100% of our CO2 needs through fermentation with this system, which is super exciting. Um, but that's not what you asked about. Sorry. Um, going no, back but to, that's cool. Going it's back it's to all water. sustainability, right? You know, yeah, it's, it's every yeah. little part. And that's matters. a big investment at a weird time. Maybe we even had coworkers go, what do you do? Is this the right thing? Why are we spending a million dollars on this thing? Right. It's like, well, because it's the right, it's kind of like the solar panels we put in a long time ago. It's, will it ever pay off? maybe 25 years. Yeah. But it's the right thing to do. It's, it's absurd to, uh, to us when there's technology now that's appropriate for our size um, to blow off CO2 in the atmosphere and then go buy a bunch of liquid CO2 to pump back in. So uh, that's been an 
you know, three, four year project investigation anyway. And we're, we're really excited to get that going. And, and, uh, you know, our sustainability team's kind of pretty hyped on, on that <clears throat> new machine. Uh, but on the waterfront, we, we lucked out. The city of Fort Collins does a phenomenal job with water, water treatment and water filtration. Uh, we've had, we've had a great snowpack. Actually, we had a lot of snow, um, in the Northern front range this past winter. So our water situation is, is really good. We're, we're kind of through the, the runoff of the last couple of years, but again, our, our water city of Fort Collins water gives us a daily report and they've done a phenomenal job of, of treatment and filtration. And then we, we filter in the brew house as well. Uh, and then kind of re recondition our water for brewing, depending on what we're doing. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I remember that year when the, with the really bad fire in the Cooter Canyon, um, you guys were dealing with a lot of the, you know, I guess the stuff you never think about, but all the ash that ended up in the, in the Pooter River that yeah. ended up in the water supply. And, and that was something I know when I was at Odell, I mean, we didn't do anything to nope. the water. It just, I mean, it's amazing water. It's, it's yeah. some of the best brewing water, uh, but yeah, no, a, we, we had filtration with the, with the brew house we installed in, in, uh, 2013, you know, right. That Browcon system, we, we added water filtration at that point, understanding that yeah, it was a good time to invest in consistency of water. Um, but you're right. You know, back then we didn't, we just took what we got and, and we boiled it every night. Remember we'd fill up the, <laughs> we'd fill up yep. the kettle and, and boil it. And then that was our brewing water. So we at least drove yeah. the chlorine off. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a, it was so interesting coming from, you know, Fort Collins to Austin's water because it's actually mineral content wise, it's pretty similar, except for we have really high temporary hardness. So it, you know, it's, uh, it was everything I kind of knew about getting bitterness in a beer or keeping bitterness out of a beer was, was kind of turned upside down. So that was, uh, that was a challenge, but yeah, Denver, Denver is a different situation than Fort Collins. So, you know, Think about it. Water is our number one ingredient, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's, that's one of the the weird things about Colorado too. I remember like Fort Collins, like Fort Collins to Boulder was a big difference in water. And um, yeah, so it is, you know, it's always interesting when, you know, as brewers, like we, how much, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still the brewer that tastes, I taste the CLT of whatever brewery and I'm in every day. That's the first thing I, I do is I go fill my water bottle with CLT water and, you know, I try to tell all my brewers, you know, if you, if you don't know what your water tastes like, you're never going to know what your beer is going to taste like. Um, That's great, man. I love it. We, we have CLT on our, on our taste panel, you know, we got HLT on our taste panel too. Yeah. I mean, you could, you can catch some, some big problems, you know, oh, yeah. if you can, if you might never, never think about. So it's um, the little things, man. Right. It's all, yeah, these, all these little details matter. That's where that. Yeah. That's the, it's the, yeah, it's that definite, that saying, what's the more, the more, you know, the more you realize you, you don't know. Yep. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I, I don't, I don't think I have anything else for you today, Brendan. That's been fun to talk about. I mean, I guess we could talk about the abs and, you know, can they rebound after the early exit this year? <laughs> <laughs> Add the wild do, I forget. Yeah, we had an early exit. We had the yeah. we had a normal exit. We got out round. We don't like to go past round one. Yeah, know. so so it's they're, to be. they're playing golf together then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I went to a game up in Buffalo this this past year. They're playing Edmonton. I wanted to watch McDavid play because uh, the guy's just amazing. And uh, <laughs> crazy. There was some there was some fans uh, 
you know, they were chirping some Leafs fans about um, the Leafs, you know, make sure you get that the golf uh, trip booked to Mexico the first first week of May like normal. So, um, yeah. It's, that city's tortured, man, Toronto fan. <laughs> poor guy. Yep. I, you know, yeah. But, yeah, it's always fun. The hockey's, hockey's fun. It's, uh, it's been a fun season. And we're, by the time this airs, we're going to know who the Stanley Cup champion is. Yeah, so right. Be cool. Hey man, thanks again. I I really do appreciate you reaching out. I, I love any opportunity to connect with you. And just seeing you on the screen, I realize it's about time to come pay a visit if you if you're not coming up to Front Range anytime soon. So let's make yeah, that we'll happen. Get, we'll get something on the books, and uh, we'll 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 come hang out either down here or up there. Yeah, up there is going to be more fun. It's hot here right now. All right, well, <laughs> come on up. <laughs> All right, Brendan. Great chat. Right, yeah, yeah, you um, too, man. And uh, yeah, so Brendan's going to be back uh, the next episode of the show as a host, having conversation with a brewer of his choosing. That'll be on the air in two weeks. So make sure to tune in for that. And uh, make sure to visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media to spread journalism in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Joe Morfeld, and thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com blog. That's F-I-R-S-D. TEA.com slash blog. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y A K I M A. Valleyhops.com.